0: G'day, it's Martin Isles coming to you with a special announcement about the federal election campaign, which is just about to kick off at the time of filming. Firstly, what are we to think about it? And secondly, what are we gonna do about it? In relation to thinking, let's first get this straight. This is important. It's not the most important election ever. People always try and argue that, the campaign talking heads always say that, but I think certainly it's one of the most difficult elections ever because there are fewer distinctives between the major parties than ever before. And the minor parties to be honest are a lottery. The thing about lotteries is they're not always lost but they usually are. What are we going to do? If I could make one point this election, just one, it would be this and and I can't tell you how much this goes to the heart of the issue. This election for you must be, it must be about people, not about parties. The best thing that you can do is to forget about the parties for a second, that's a lazy way to think, to say I'm going to vote for a party we need to stop that and there's reasons which I'll explain. We need to start looking instead into the people on our ballot. Who are the names? Who are the individuals behind those names? Who is it that you can vote for or that you are voting for? The actual individuals, regardless of what colour they're wearing, regardless of what party they're a part of and that requires a little bit more homework. It's a less lazy way to go, it's a more in-depth way to go but it's crucially important because here's the thing. There are good people and there are bad people in all the parties, and that is actually the problem we face in modern politics. Every party is tainted with some bad people and some good people. Well, all the, most of them, I mean, look at the Greens, I'm not sure what to do about that, but I'm talking about Liberal, Labor, and the minors that, we normally, that we're thinking about in this election season. Take, for example, the Coalition. Um, I know good people. I think people know there are good people in the coalition with proven track records uh, and with proven pedigrees on all the important things. People of principle, people of values, people of faith. And yet this coalition government has overseen some really bad stuff. And that is the reality we have to confront. This coalition government has overseen uh, the falling over of the long promised religious discrimination bill. It was killed off at the 11th hour by members of the coalition. Millions of dollars have also been tipped into school programs that teach gender bending, that teach queer sexuality, that teach explicit sexual, explicit sexual concepts in primary schools, in high schools, things like the Good Society, the, the Commonwealth government has funded that. A review into the treatment, the affirmative treatment of children with gender dysphoria at hospital clinics across the country was quietly shelved under this government. Also, this government said that it was against mandates, which I think all right-thinking, freedom-minded, liberty-minded people need to be against, but it acted very differently. It was silent on what the states did overall, generally speaking, explicitly actually endorsing the overall actions of WA and Victoria, the two worst examples. Uh, It applied mandates anyway to international travel, even though it said it was against them, and it kicked Novak Djokovic out of the country even though he was granted a valid medical exemption and came in good faith, and nobody knows that because they've got their media friends to to sideline him to such a degree that the truth never came out about that, it was a completely political exercise to kick him out to uh, make a statement about vaccination and mandates. Uh, For a government that says they didn't support mandates, come on. Uh, But when the politics says this is going to be popular, it's what you do, right? Also, mitochondrial donation laws, otherwise known as three-parent babies, championed and passed by this government, a process that involves the destruction of human embryos that is against every pro-life principle. Financially securing uh, Australia's legacy media was another thing that this government did. They forced big tech, that is Facebook and Google, to pay the legacy media companies, News Corp and and Fairfax and groups like this, for having uh, social media pages or being on their social media platforms which is bonkers. So the media company gets the privilege of being promoted through the social media platform, and now the social media platform has to pay them. Why? Well, it secured the financial future of struggling legacy media companies. That was this government. Um, also, the escalation of Australia's debt over the pandemic period has been among the greatest, if not quite possibly the greatest in all the world. No fiscal restraint at all, which is what coalitions are meant to do. And there's been, I think we all know, a general void of conviction and leadership. It's been far more about chasing the polls, chasing the approval, running the focus groups, a huge lack of actual conviction leadership. But you say, well, aren't there good people in the coalition? I thought you just said that. Ah, yeah, but they're not in control. They are actively disempowered in the present government. Take Labor, for example. uh, you know, in Labor's case, you say, "Well, are there good people in labor?" Well, yes, there are. Senator Kimberly Kitching was one. Uh, on social and moral issues, she was mostly solid. Um, not entirely, but mostly. Uh, she wasn't woke, she was great to work with, uh, she was reasonable. There are others in labor like her. Others who were a little more empowered actually after the 2019 election, when Labor lost ground in um, faith uh, in seats with significant faith communities on the on religious freedom grounds, and that actually changed their whole approach to the religious freedom issue. By the way, in the last few years, Um, so it had an impact, and you can see how sometimes good people can be empowered by what happens in the electorate, which is where we come in in a minute. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, Uh, but you know these good people are there, Um, and you might look at me and think, really? Well, see the thing is. They're not in control, they're not empowered in Labor. Also the minor parties, the same principle holds. I get a lot of people saying, I'm never voting major again, I'm voting minor. Well, there's a problem with that. You've fallen into the trap I described, which is that you're focusing on the parties, not on the people. And here's the thing, in the minor parties, they have the potential to be every bit as bad as the majors because there are good candidates and there are bad candidates running in all of them. And we all love freedom, especially after the last few years and I completely sympathise, but we don't love abortion, we don't love euthanasia, we don't love queer education, we don't love compromised Christian schools, we don't love the loss of religious freedom and so on and so forth. And Take it from me, there are candidates in some of these major minor parties who are bad on that stuff, they really are, just as there are some who are good but here's the point, it depends on the people, not on the candidates. Uh, It depends on the people, sorry, not on the parties. I'm fine with minor parties winning some seats. In fact, I'd quite like it if they had the balance of power in the Senate just to gum things up a little bit and stop the government doing anything bad, especially if Labour's gonna win. Um, but I want the right people from the minor parties to get in so that the right people are in control of those minor parties. Otherwise, we just have a repeat of the majors where the wrong people are in control and we run that risk and it could actually happen. To use a biblical metaphor then, the problem we have in politics right now is that the wheat and the tares are growing up together in the parties. And it is for this reason that I just want to get some perspective for a second. Whichever of the major parties wins, there will be a silver lining. Don't just focus on the next few weeks, focus on the big picture and where politics is going here. If Labor win, you can expect faster social change and that will be bad. But the silver lining is this, the coalition may reflect that they simply can't take their base for granted, they can't uh, treat them with indifference and expect to win elections. And that will empower, that in itself, will empower the good people in the party to start conversation, to start reform, okay? And it will disempower the bad ones who've been ruling the roost, especially of late. Now, if the coalition win, you may get a slowdown, not a stop, but a slowdown of social change, and that will be good. But the silver lining is that, I'm sorry, that is the silver lining. The the other side of it is, the bad side is, that they may not actually get a chance to stop and reflect Um, and they may carry on with business as usual. And here's the other perspective. Labor will win. If they don't win this election, they will win the next election. Or if something historically abnormal takes place, although it already would have, but if something historically abnormal takes place, it'll be the one after that. Here's the thing, see, the parties currently in the present state of politics with the wheat and the tares everywhere, the parties don't hold the answers. The right people and the empowerment of the right people in those parties holds the answers. And you say, well, how do we empower the right people in those parties? Well, you've got some ideas, fortunately. Um, what we plan to do actually is together as ACL run the biggest information campaign that we have ever run. It's a campaign importantly that is, that is targeted, at the, targeted at the public at, It is a campaign that is targeted to the public at large. It is not just to ourselves and our supporters. We're not just producing tables for our people. No, no, we're going out into the mainstream to campaign, to change minds in the community. It is also focused on key seats, where the MPs or the candidates have a record on those issues that we really care about, like religious freedom, like Christian schools. Um, It's it's based on where those MPs uh, have, there's a story to be told about them good or bad. Um, It's important, it's focused on those important issues to people of faith or who are sympathetic to faith. You say, well, how do you do that highlighting in the community at large? Well, the effort's firstly gonna be supported by a number of you who are watching this, our wonderful volunteers, 7,700 active volunteers. I like to call them activists for truth, but people don't like the activist word, but that's what you are, you're activated. Um, 7,700 volunteers, which is a huge number. Uh, by any stretch. Uh, It'll be supported by our pool of those people. Uh, It'll include multiple flyer drops in the key electorates that we are looking at, uh, both by Australia Post and volunteers. It will include phone canvassing. It will include phone technologies like robocalls, ringless voicemails, billboards, uh, right across in a number of places, newspaper ads, maybe core flutes, other technologies and methods as well. We're gonna do all that in the mainstream. You say, well, who uh, are you gonna be highlighting? I'm glad you asked. <clears throat> Firstly, some of the people, to hold them to account, who have been seizing control of the Liberal Party lately to pursue an anti-faith agenda, uh, who are actually part of a bit of an ideological cancer in the party and they're just doing what they want because they have confidence that there's gonna be no consequences. Well, it's a new day, that's no longer the case. Uh, people like Bridget Archer in the electorate of Bass in Tasmania, Fiona Martin in the electorate of Reed in New South Wales, Trent Zimmerman in the electorate of North Sydney in New South Wales, Dave Sharma in Wentworth in New South Wales, and from the crossbench, uh, Rebecca Sharkey in Mayo in in South Australia. Um, Why? Well, in the case of Bridget Archer uh, and Rebecca Sharkey, you have MPs who voted against protecting people of faith from discrimination, who killed the Religious Discrimination Bill, and also voted in favour of repealing laws that allow Christian schools to employ to teach and to otherwise operate in accordance with their faith. So the laws that allow Christian schools to be Christian, they voted to delete them from the legislation. That's why. Trent Zimmerman, very similar, except that he didn't actually vote against the religious discrimination, but he didn't actually vote uh, against protecting people of faith from discrimination. He walked out of the chamber and didn't vote at all, which was a strategic move, but we're calling him out on it. Uh, And in the case of Dave Sharma, he didn't do all of those things, but what he did do was he did vote to repeal a law from the legislation that allows Christian schools to teach and to operate in accordance with their faith. That is why we are going into those electorates. There is information to be spread about those issues that are important to the work we do to the faith community, to social conservatives, but for the welfare of Australia at large which need to be highlighted. These are issues that otherwise wouldn't be highlighted, apart from the fact that we're in this privileged position where we're about two thirds of the way through, building a serious campaign infrastructure. And for a change, it is coming from somewhere that is not, on the far left of the political spectrum you know MPs live in fear of and this disempowers good people and empowers bad people because they are living in fear of campaigns coming from groups like climate 200 like get up and these groups they campaign dirty they campaign on issues with which we have very little common ground well that's not what we're doing this is an exciting time in australian politics this is the existence of a campaign force that has power to encourage good politicians to stand up for good issues because they know there's people out there who will take the message to the public that these issues matter. And it also disempowers, because the mainstream media is not going to do that, they don't do that, you know, these other campaign juggernauts don't do that. And it disempowers those who would seek to do harm in relation to these issues, it calls them out, it exposes their record, and that's exactly what we see in what I've just described. The question now is, well, what can you do as part of this? You can pray for the campaign, no matter who you are, and please do, Pray that it will be the right campaign, but pray that it would have the effect that we hope that it would have, that more people will be encouraged to stand up for what is right, and more people will be discouraged from standing up for what is wrong, perhaps even they will lose their seats. Um, You can also uh, volunteer for the campaign if you want to be part of that massive pool of 7,700 volunteers. It's a great community of people, uh, ably organised by uh, local coordinators. Uh, You can go to the website, acl.org.au slash volunteer, and you can fill that in. You can donate to the campaign. It's going to be formidably expensive, acl.org.au slash donate. Or here's what else you can do. You can learn about the individuals, not the parties, the actual people, on your ballot, no matter what colour they're wearing, no matter what flag they fly, and make sure that your vote is a vote for the good guys. I've had to do that in my seat. I know that I'm I'm in one of the most spectacularly safe Labor seats in the country, so I know that my lower house vote's not going to achieve a whole lot, whether I voted Labor, Liberal, or anything else. It really would change the dynamic because the safety of the seat is so profound, but in the upper house, it's very different. There is a candidate in my, area. In fact, I might as well say this, this is not an ACL endorsement, we're not allowed to do that. But personally, this is my calculus in the ACT in Canberra, I've got Senator Zed Seselja on my ballot. I don't know who the minor party people are, the Labor person's got a bad record on important issues of faith and values. Senator Seselja, Zed Seselja, even though he is a senator for easily one of the most, if not the most progressive jurisdiction in Australia, he has held firm on everything from religious freedom, same-sex marriage, euthanasia and more besides, uh, a great guy of conviction. And I know, he's incumbent, he's got the track record. I'll put the one next to his name. That's what I will do. And most of you, the vast overwhelming majority of you don't live in the ACT, secular paradise that it is. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but uh, where you are, you need to do the same calculus. Who is it? Forget the colours. Who is it? Do I know anything about them? And vote accordingly. All right, I've been way off script, where am I? Um, I want to, yes, I want to just say a thing for a moment about the policies that I've highlighted. So I just mentioned this big campaign we're going to run, I just mentioned this information we're going to spread, about what? Well, it's about the way that different candidates have supported or opposed um, matters pertaining to religious freedom and matters pertaining to Christian schooling. Why would I choose those issues? Well, when I say religious freedom, I mean freedom ultimately for the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be spread through speaking and proclamation and to be spread through people's lives, testimonies and witnesses, living out the claims of Christ on their life in their community. And I want religious freedom because in the government system that we have in this country, which is a liberal democracy, that is actually the best way to guarantee that the gospel is free to be spoken and free to be lived out in every way. And I want to make this point. This is right and this is proper and I'll explain why. It's in First Timothy chapter two from verse one. It says, first of all, then I urge that requests, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made in behalf of all people for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and a quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth for there is one God and one mediator also between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Okay, pray for kings, pray for those in authority, right? Government. Why? Well, there was no democracy, uh, so prayer was the single choice that people had Uh, and it remains the best choice that we have, okay? It's still the priority, okay? For all this activism, prayer is always the priority. But pray to what end? Or we might say in our age, pray and act and witness to what end? That we may lead peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness. In other words, pray that the godly life would be a peaceful life. Interesting. It's not that far away, is it, from saying pray for religious freedom? It's kind of a similar thing. But why is that important? Well, first, it is good and pleasing in the sight of God. Okay, well, that's reason enough. But for this specific end, because it enables more people to come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. God desires all people everywhere to come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. That is why God is described first and foremost here as the Saviour, that's His desire. That is why I want greater freedom for faith, especially the Christian faith, not for myself, not because I demand my rights. I want it because God wants the truth to be spoken and the truth to be testified to in our lives so that others might hear it, others might experience and encounter it, and yes, others might be saved by it. This is why Christian schools need to be included, because Christian schools are still one way uh, through which many a young person or a child is evangelised and discipled. I know, I went to one, I saw this happen. In a Christian community, that's what happens. To strip Christian schools of their rights is to stand in the way of the knowledge of the truth. So, particularly to that demographic, uh, particularly the ones that come to Christian schools from non-Christian families, very common. So, note that this is not so much freedom to be a Christian, freedom to be comfortable. Because if there's one thing that Jesus made absolutely clear, it was that we can't expect comfort in the Christian life. He said, Take up your cross. He said, Count the cost, otherwise you're being foolish. Uh, He says, The apostles said, Rejoice in trials. Paul said, Everyone who seeks to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Those are all quotes. It's not so much freedom to be a Christian, it is freedom that enables people to become Christians. There is nothing greater than that in all the world. It is a prayer that the uh, statement in Acts chapter nine, verse 31 would come true, where it says, so that the church in all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. What a blessing, is that that picture would be fulfilled. And here's an important consideration. Religious freedom is not so much a right, that just exists somewhere in a statute or something, as it is a practice. We need to be practising religious freedom, whether we have it or not. In times that are free, in days of liberty, we need to take advantage of it. We're all evangelists, you know, doesn't matter what you're calling in life, what your vocation, you are an evangelist. That's something that is common to every disciple of Jesus, every Christian in this world has been made an evangelist. We need to actually use the liberty that we have We need to be used by God to make Christians through our words, through our lives, through our deeds. It's important. And I do, I am concerned that in these days of liberty, we are not taking seriously enough the opportunity that's before us and taking the opportunity while it's here. Now, in times that are not free, in days of tyranny, here's the thing, you need to do it anyway, right? It's a practice, not just a right. As laws like Victoria's Change and Suppression Bill close in, or new speech codes or online censorship, evangelism and the cause of the gospel of Christ is one reason that the apostles were always comfortable to land themselves in hot water and to go to jail. It's the one thing they knew they were standing on solid ground, if it was genuinely for the advancement of that thing, all would be well. And I want us just to bear that in mind. Religious freedom is not just the right, it is the practice, and we should be practicing it regardless. But also religious freedom is not so much my freedom to be a comfortable Christian, it is far more about the freedom that means that others will become Christians. And that is why I am very convicted that these are the right issues, presenting in the last year or so, to highlight in this election campaign because it's one way that we can advance the freedom for all people everywhere to come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. I'm Martin Niles, and that was, uh, well, I was going to say the truth of it, but I introduced it as our federal election announcement, and that's exactly what it was.